Good morning, everyone. Now, as you probably know, the Church of England is currently engaged in some soul searching over the issues of sexuality. On Thursday, we finished the Living in Love and Faith course. It was a course that we listened to each other and that we listened to people with differing opinions about sexuality. And I promised everyone that after we had that, that then we'd have a sermon series where we would spend some time listening to God. Now I'm a bit nervous about this, and I'm aware that quite a few of you are also nervous about this. What is the vicar going to say? Is he going to be more liberal or more fundamental than I'm comfortable with? Will I be, feel comfortable in St. Luke's in four weeks' time? See, let's be honest, this could all go horribly wrong. It could all go horribly wrong if some of you feel really uncomfortable or offended by me. And it could go horribly wrong if some of you felt that this sermon series was irrelevant. So firstly, I want to say that my hope and my prayer is that all of us feel uncomfortable. I'll say that again that all of us feel uncomfortable. You see, none of us have got this sorted. None of us think or act perfectly like Jesus. And as we realise that, and as we become confronted by that, it's going to feel uncomfortable at times. See, God describes his word as a double-edged sword, not a cuddly teddy bear. It can and it will make us feel mightily uncomfortable. But it's also my prayer that as we look at what God has to say about these issues, that we would see that what he has to say is relevant. Relevant to all of us here, whether you're single or married or divorced or widowed, whether you're gay or straight or somewhere in between, whether you have regrets or no regrets. You see, I don't want us to stay in the uncomfortable phase. Jesus describes Christianity as good news. So as we look at the issues of sexuality and what God has to say about them, what good news is there for us? How does the Bible's answer to these issues reveal the good news. Now, as we begin this four-part series, I'm going to disappoint quite a few of you. We're going to take things slowly. We're also going to rewind a bit. We're not going to start on sex and marriage. In fact, we're not even going to start on relationships. Instead, we're going to start further back. Today, we're going to be thinking about the topic of how do we know what God thinks and what God wants. So we're going to look at the Bible and what it claims about itself. The next week we're going to look at how faith and behaviour relate to each other. We're going to look at what the Bible says a Christian is. That sounds basic, but all of us can get that mixed up. Then in week three we're going to look at what the Bible says marriage is and what it isn't. And we're also going to look at what the Bible says marriage is for. And there might be a few surprises in that one. 
We'll also think a bit about singleness. And then in week four, we're going to think about everything else, which could be a bit of a tall order. So depending on your feedback and your comments and questions, we might set aside another Sunday in November to continue thinking things through, or maybe an evening um, instead. But I'll, let be, I'll be led by you on that one. Okay, so that's the introduction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know where each one of us is. You know the concerns that we have or the feelings of discomfort. Father, we pray that today and over the coming weeks that you would speak to us, that you would make us more like Jesus. And we pray that for your glory. Amen. Okay, well, I'd like us to start... um, not actually with the two readings that we had. Um, If I was allowed a third reading, this would have been it. It's Hebrews chapter one, verses one to three. And it says this. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors. In these last days, God has spoken to us. God is a speaking God. Isn't that amazing? God has something to say, something he wants to tell us, something he wants us to know about. And as he is God, it's going to be important, something wonderful. See, like a town crier announcing the good news, we're getting ready to hear. Are you ready to listen? Now, before we listen to what God says, we need to make sure we know how God speaks. Verse 1 of this passage in Hebrews says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. God spoke through the prophets. That kind of sums up the Old Testament. Moses and the stone tablets. Ezekiel and his strained visions, David and his songs of praise that speak of a king yet to come. All the way from Genesis to Malachi, God was speaking to his people. He spoke to the prophets and then they spoke to the people on God's behalf. And in verse 2 says there's another way. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by a son. Now God has spoken by a son, his son, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God. God has spoken by him. And how can that be so? Verse three, he is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus is fully God. 
He's the exact imprint of God's very being. As God, he speaks God's word to us. We want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. We want to know what God thinks? Listen to Jesus. We've got a problem, don't we? How can we, 2,000 years later, listen to Jesus? We can no longer rock up to Israel, sit on a Galilean hillside and listen to him in person. Well, instead, Jesus promised his followers that they would be reminded of his teaching by the Holy Spirit. The apostles would be empowered from on high to remember and write down what he said. That's where the Gospels in the New Testament come from. And as these apostles were reminded of his teaching and told other cities around the Mediterranean, well, that's where the, the letters come from as well. That's the New Testament. Jesus promised these people that he would help them write these things down for our benefit. He's given his stamp of approval on them. See, we can read about Jesus in the Bible. That's how we find out about Jesus and how we learn about God. People who become Christians, they sometimes talk about a change occurring as they read the Bible. They might start off a bit suspicious about this book that's been written 2,000 years ago. What on earth does that have to say about things? But as they read it, something happens. It's as if Jesus walks off the pages of the Bible and meets them. See, God's word is so powerful. It's relational as well. This is a supernatural book. The speaking God speaks directly to us as we read it. He wants us to listen. Are we ready? Okay, well, that's a bit of an extended introduction. I'd like us now to look at the first reading that we had from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it's verses 10 to 17. And in it, Paul began with a problem to Timothy. He talks about persecutions. And it gets worse. He says that godly people are going to be persecuted, while wicked people go from bad to worse. He also talks about how people will be deceived and that they will deceive others as well. It all sounds pretty miserable, doesn't it? What's the solution? Well, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What does Paul say? Continue. Don't move on. Continue. You see, it's not that you begin with the Bible and then move on to something better when you're more mature. No. The Bible is what we begin with and the Bible is what we continue with. And why is that? Well, he gives two reasons. The first is in verse 15. How from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
The Bible contains what we need for salvation. Salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible is all about salvation, getting right with God. And it's not just the New Testament that tells us of this salvation by Jesus. See, when Paul wrote to Timothy, the Old Testament was all that existed. It was the Old Testament that Timothy read as a child. It was the Old Testament that had instructed him for salvation through faith in Jesus. Now, obviously, the New Testament teaches us about faith in Jesus. But this passage is saying that the Old Testament does so as well. And the second reason for continuing with the Bible is in verses 16 and 17. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The Bible contains what we need for righteousness and godliness. The Bible is a training manual for those of us who belong to God. It teaches us, it corrects us, it reproves us. Which bit of the Bible was written to instruct us? All scripture. You see, sometimes we run the risk of thinking that the New Testament has somehow made the Old Testament obsolete. We raise the New Testament higher while we bring the old lower. We prefer the New Testament, don't we? God seems that bit nicer. Or maybe we think the Gospels as more important than the rest. Or even if you have one of those red letter Bibles, you might know the ones where the words of Jesus are in red. Well, we think of the words of Jesus as a sort of trump card. If it's not found on the lips of Jesus, I don't want to know. But the Bible doesn't allow us to do that. All scripture, every single bit is inspired by God. It was human authors who put pen to paper or chisel to rock, but God instructed them on what to say. He inspired them. He breathed into them by his Holy Spirit. All of it is from God. And if all of it is from God, who is perfect and holy and beyond us, then actually all of it must be without error as well. How else could a perfect God communicate but perfectly? And whether we believe that or not, that's going to affect how humbly we come before God's word. Do we think we need correction and training? Or do we think that parts of the Bible need correcting and training by us? You see, let's be honest. We all struggle with bits of the Bible, don't we? We'd rather they weren't in the Bible. We'd rather rip them out and throw them in the bin. Maybe it's the Old Testament histories, the conquest of Canaan, God's wrath on an ungodly people, Jesus talking about people going to hell. We rip out page after page until basically we have no Bible left. We might as well throw the Bible 
in the bin as well. But all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. All of it is written for our salvation. All of it is written so we can grow in godliness. All of it is important. If we remove it or ignore it, we're removing or ignoring our salvation. We're removing or ignoring our righteousness. That cannot be. You see, the Pharisees in Jesus' day did something similar with God's word. But instead of ripping out passages of the Bible, they added it to the Bible. In Mark chapter 7, verses 9 to 12, it says this. Then Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of their father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is Corban, that is, an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother. The fifth commandment tells us to honour our father and our mother. And honour involves more than just honouring them with our lips, but honouring them with financial and material support as well. But these Pharisees, they decided that they knew better. They had a tradition that they could give all their possessions to God as an offering. And if they gave it to God, well, then they wouldn't give anything to their ageing parents. It would be like someone making a large donation to St. Luke's here and then not paying the nursing home fees. I hope we're all outraged at the thought of someone, someone doing that, even our treasurer outraged. But at the same time, look at their reasons for doing this. They're making an offering to God. Is that not a good thing? They're giving all their money to God, not just 10%, but everything. Is that not a really good thing? Well, normally it is, but not here. See, Jesus is actually condemnatory about their behaviour. He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honours me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. And verses 8 and 13, You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition, thus making void the word of God through a tradition that you have handed on. These people taught human ideas as doctrines. They added to God's word. And in doing so, they made the word of God null and void. They'd thrown it in the bin. See, they sounded like they honoured God. They sounded like the most pious people who existed. But their hearts were far from God. They were worshipping him 
in vain. Imagine that. Imagine thinking you are worshipping God, but actually you're doing the opposite. What are we basing our faith on? What are we basing our theology on? What are we basing our actions on? Now, I want to be careful here. I'm not having a dig at anyone in particular. As I said at the start, I'm having a dig at all of us. All of us can do this. All of us can elevate old traditions or new teachings above God's word. And when we do, we make God's word null and void. See, adding to God's word has the same effect as removing from God's word. We displace something when we add to it. But God's word is all about salvation. Salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and the righteousness that that leads to. That is wonderful news. This is what our world is crying out for, hope. Hope that only Jesus can give. Hope not just for this world, but for the next as well. The free gift of God. And what a huge shame it would be if we missed out on the grace of God because we thought other things were more important. See, let's treat God's word, all of God's word, with the respect it deserves. Now let's take God at his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, well, you know us, Lord, better than we do ourselves. Father, you know the things that we struggle with, the way in which we want to ignore bits of your word, or the way in which we want to add bits to your word. Please forgive us for that. Father, we pray that you would change us, that we would see that all of your word is good, that we need all of it, that because it comes from you, it is perfect. And when there's bits that we don't know or like or understand, please help us to be humble, knowing that we are the ones who need to be trained and corrected not you and not your word. And Father, we thank you for each other as well, because Lord, we know that all of us get this wrong, including me. So please, would you help us? And we pray this by your Holy Spirit and in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for whose glory we pray. Amen.